When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Hale Varsity Radio Saturday Morning Show, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Strap yourselves in. Here are your hosts, Chris Schmidt. Y'all don't even know he was a virgin until he's 28, and now, roll tide. And Mark Cranach. Time has come for someone to put his foot down. And that foot is me. Welcome to it. Weekend is here. It's Hale Varsity Radio presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Chris Schmidt, Mark Cranach, Elijah Herbal, the crew back together again. Busy morning for you. Plenty of recruiting to get into with Nebraska football. Cranach, what is good? It it's feels good to be like back with you. Feels like years, my friend. It does, man. It's been a while. And then next week we got the holiday show. We've done Meaning a- there is no show. We've done a lot of holiday shows together, and we've had our share of New Year's Day. Let's uh, kick things off before all the bowl coverage. Yeah. (laughs) Brilliant ideas. Uh, But, yeah, we're not doing a Fourth of July show, but that's okay. We are not. I think our – you know, both of you out there listening, you you guys are going to be fine, you know? I know it's been hard without us these last couple weeks. Well, you – together. you were on assignment. I, I was on assignment. You tell me this, and we'll get into some recruiting. What's the the rainfall look like up in Omaha? Because Junior's got baseball at 10. Will he have baseball at 10? Can you? In Omaha? In Omaha. Ooh. <laughs> it's, I don't know, man. I don't know. It's a little, it'll be dicey. The, right. Then again. Look at like the the dirt technology that people are using these days. Uh, the Agriline stuff, right? I you and I grew you it. and I grew up with the old quick dry clay that they yeah. would spackle the infield with, and that's what I'm going to blame my fielding percentage on, and that's the story I'm sticking to. Well, and it would just carve you up too anytime you try to slide. Uh, <laughs> yeah, they didn't. Yeah. They didn't send me on a lot of. <laughs> You know, two two counts from first to second. That was not Ricky Henderson esque. There's some menacing clouds that I'm looking at right now, though. So I don't know, man. It'll be touch and go. That's the great thing about baseball, though, right? That you can just go ahead and get in the car and drive all the way up, only to find out it's <laughs> raining. I hope that doesn't happen. No, uh, I am. I am meeting the the lovely family up there because you know how baseball is. They got to warm up and all that good stuff. So, of course. yeah, that's it. So, how impressed are you, Cranek, with with Nebraska during COVID recruiting? This is this continues to wow me with Nebraska football and where they have gone. Uh, I look at. Irvin, the uh, the running back out of Buford, Georgia, out of a really yep. big time powerhouse program, where Nebraska was so good at first identifying this this and you got to be able to, but easier said than done. Where they make kind of contact and connection with a kid that's just a sophomore, and watch him do his thing as a junior, and even though the kid can't find his way to Lincoln. 
uh, through virtual visits and constant contact, Nebraska is able to really deliver that message of we, we care about you, we want you part of the family. And lo and behold, Nebraska gets a kid that is, I don't want to say under the radar because you look at his offer list, but for sure a steal when you look at the, the, the peer recruits, that teams that, that went in to try and recruit him, and also the fact that you know there's not been any camp circuits for the kid to hit this summer. Uh, so who's to say that that three-star wouldn't have gone up? And I really like his style of running. It's kind of Mills and Ozigbo-esque. He's the bigger back mm-hmm. for this, this offense. Uh, you look at the Ezra Miller transfer, Nebraska tapping tapping into some some transfer options uh, on different parts of their football team, and ten commits is nice for the Big Red, and and four of the ten have not had a chance to see Lincoln Schweitzer is a kid we talked with, I don't know about a week ago, and his coach and, and Schweitzer himself. So I like the athleticism Nebraska is getting. I like the size they're getting, but I like who they're beating. Uh, on the recruiting trail to get, and and Irvin's another example uh, yeah. this week of of the coaches doing some fantastic work. Well, and you're seeing you're, you're seeing to your point about who Nebraska is beating for it. It's not just Tulane or Florida Atlantic or something like that. And there have been a handful of you know those kind of recruits in the past. Not that that's okay. All been bad, like so, yeah, sometimes they turn out. Um, but you like to see that you're not sort of the only big dog after these guys. And Gabe Irvin had, he had a nice list. It was 20 plus offers Hmm. um, and some who's who type people. And I I love how you bring up the Ozigbu, the um, uh, Mills Mills type, because it's, I don't know. I continue to, to like what, how, how Frost is adapted how, how they've how they've adapted the profile of athlete that they're going after. It's not going to be a UCF carbon copy. It's just not that Irvin's six two two oh five now <laughs> going into his senior year. I mean that's gonna that's a dude that's going to be two twenty five two thirty by the time he gets on on the field at Nebraska most likely. Like he's going to put on some weight and. The thing that was really impressed specifically with him, I'm, I'm sure. You, did you click play on the highlights? On I, the huddle I, highlight? I did, and yep. I love how he. Listen, it's not that I didn't see outside runs, but I loved the between the tackle work he did, and mm-hmm. and I like that that gear. It's like I'm riding with Cranack to O Street. You you you, you get <laughs> you get to Tenth Street and. All of a sudden, there's a little more giddy up in your in your approach, and that's kind of how that's 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 just how it uh, how it kind of goes. Once he hits that second level, he hits another gear, and, okay. and he's lowering his shoulder. Did that was that a good painting? That's a that's a good analogy. Now, something that he is better at than I would be three hours after O Street is balance. Did you, did you see the guy? I, Truthfully, though, that was the thing that stood out to me the most out of... Uh, Bang, we go with the balance card. <laughs> I, no, I mean, really, though, there, there were multiple, multiple... It, was, it wasn't just one or two plays that they were showing. It was, it was probably 10 to 12 where a lesser back is on the ground because he, he, he took some good shots. But I, I don't know what it is about his center of gravity or his leg strength, whatever... But his balance is outstanding. 
I mean, well, when he, really, when he, really good. When you go watch, he's got this incredible ability to be able to make the smallest little cut before a guy hits him and to take away that guy's angle, and he's able to kind of bounce off that guy and keep going. I, I mean, I'm really impressed with the balance, too. Kind of reminds yeah. me of like, that Divine Zigbo type. It's the kind of back that Nebraska has needed in the Big Ten. When you go back and watch the games from 2019 – or 2018, excuse me, you see the divine Zigbo, Maurice Washington kind of fire and ice. Mm. And I think Nebraska lacked that a little bit last year. They tried to have it with Wandale, but Wandale was just so necessary in the passing game, and he didn't struggle between the tackles, but you could see that wasn't his forte. And I think it's going to be nice to have a guy like Gabe Irvin who can come in and be that the 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 power guy whenever you can have another guy come in next drive. And be you there. need, the, you know, Elijah, that's a good point. You need that hammer, and Kranak, to your point about balance and the vision side of things. I mean, that's so nice to have anticipation, that that natural ability to know where someone's going to try and be and anticipate it and adjust and then gain a, a few more yards. Back to, to Irvin's film for a second. What I loved, and you're not going to see fumbles on a highlight film, I get it, but in doing some research on him this week, I mean, 15 games, 1,000-yard rusher, 15 touchdowns, one fumble. Nice. Right? That's I mean, good. That, that, yeah. that, that's like always a concern of mine, right? Yeah. Is can, can, can big backs hang on to the football? And it's not that they're trying to fumble. It's not that they're not strong enough to keep that football locked up. It's they're always fighting for the extra yard, right? Yeah. Sure. They're, they're moving the pile. They're leaning forward. They're trying to get a gain of, of five instead of four. or So his his ball security is is key. And we have gotten into a lot of discussions over the past 12 months, what's holding Nebraska back. And turnovers and inopportune time, never a great time for a turnover, but it seems where Nebraska's hurt themselves in some of these you know coin flip games – where they've had close losses, has been some sort of turnover. Uh, be yep. it, it's not all been Adrian. There's There's been some times where the ball gets stripped uh, and you, <laughs> you just can't have it. And, and give me a guy that's already coming in to a program with a senior year left to play that is good at hang, hanging on to the football and that's what I want for my big back. You need that hammer, and, and Frosty's got that in his offense on the way here with, uh, with Gabe Urban. Yeah. What, yeah. Let's, let's get into Ezra Miller for a second, unless you got another thought on, on the back. Well, I was just, just real quick, just not necessarily on, on Gabe Urban, mm-hmm. but since COVID right. hit, count of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven commits for Nebraska. Two from Georgia, one from California, one from Miami, one from Utah. That is so hard to do. Nebraska has their number one advantage, more so than other schools, like way more so than other schools, is getting kids on campus because of people's preconceived notions or lack thereof (laughs) of the state of Nebraska and of Lincoln. I remember one time when <laughs> Omaha. <laughs> this is really funny. I, I, I know. I know. We got to get to Ezra Miller. Um, Omaha did like some research on. You you know how there's always like these brand campaigns for Omaha or Lincoln where yeah, they come up yeah, with yeah. like the slogan. 
and they did did some research and then the the dominating thing that, that came back as they researched Omaha nationally wasn't that people had a bad opinion of Omaha it was that they had no opinion <laughs> of Omaha so they just don't right they just so it's a shoulder shrug it's just like <laughs> oh yeah right so, so then you know so go ahead and apply that to Lincoln go ahead and apply that to the state of Nebraska as a whole and that's what that's what you're recruiting against that, you're not only recruiting against other players you're also or other teams you're also recruiting against a reputation or lack thereof like these guys don't even know what to think so covid recruiting wise i think has caused nebraska more troubles than most or presented more challenges than most you're you're right it it and has to still be able to withstand that and they're still in the top 30ish mm-hmm. in recruiting rankings right now and to pull guys from like I was mentioning, Georgia, two guys from Georgia, one from Florida, one from Utah, one from California. Since COVID hit, that's, that's pretty good. They're, they're getting their digital game right. So they are. That's and, all for that. And what's impressive about that is Nebraska's best trump card here is come see a game and experience the fan base. Come experience 90,000. Come experience... Lincoln on a Saturday, okay? Because it is second to none, and kids will be wowed, and kids love it. To be able to, to land as many kids as they have with, with travel bans, okay, is incredible. And I, Nebraska's, they've, if anyone's been steps ahead of this, it's been Nebraska in, in an unpredictable world with who's tested positive today. What college football program's gone from two positive cases to 15 positive cases overnight? Nebraska has been incredible at change. I mean, they've, they've kept the conversation about family and football and let's get it turned around. And by the way, your measurables and speed and size are fantastic. They've been able to accentuate the positive with what they have to bring. And I, I have no earthly idea what this what this digital or virtual tour looks like. But I do know that the constant contact, I'll say it again, and work done by the Chenanders, by the Fishers, by the Roods, by the Helds, by the Bechtons. I mean, go, go down the, the coaching list by Scott Frost when it comes to always knowing how and when and where to talk to a kid but not overdoing it, okay? Just knowing a personality, developing a relationship, and having it be not just a spur-of-the-moment thing, but it's a long, it's, it, it's the marathon versus the sprint thing. And they've created several instances of relationship development that goes back. That goes back to that identification of who they want, who they like, and then the projection part, here's what we see for you. And for them to, to, to do that with, out of trip. I mean, talking with Schweitzer, I mean, he on his own, him and his family drove to Lincoln. They couldn't have contact with coaches, but they just kind of kicked it around. They went and checked out the school and around town. I mean, they drove on their own. You know, they didn't fly. They And that was interesting to hear his perspective. He wanted to see it. He had already committed, but on his own, he's like, all right, this is where I'm going to go. I might as well go check it out. I'm interested to see if more of the recruiting class that, that may be committed sight unseen 
takes more trips on their own just to not reaffirm their commitment, but just kind of say, all right, let me go see what this is all about. I really like who I've been in contact with, and I really enjoy what I think this program can be. And there's been so much trust developed here by these kids and and Frost. And it's got to be because you you can't come in, man. I mean, it should be – it's camp season, Cranach. There should be pipeline camps going on. There should be official visits happening this summer. We should be screaming towards kickoff against Purdue. We still may be, but it's just so it's so out of this world unordinary. It, it's I couldn't imagine trying to sell something where you can't show them the product. I mean, could that help with a guy like Fedoni though? When, when you when you look at Fedoni, he's been talking about his. The, he's been waiting for his official visit. So he, yeah, he, he wants, to, he wants to go to school. LSU. He wants to go check out LSU, but you can't go check out LSU. Yeah, could, could that help a guy in that situation? Where I know for most guys it's been hurtful, but with Fedoni, Nebraska's been top of the list, and he's said before in a couple of interviews that he appreciates that Nebraska texts him once a day, gives him some space, and, and they, they understand what they have in a guy like him. So, I mean, as weird as it sounds, is that helping Nebraska? I don't know. Maybe in that instance. <laughs> in the one case? In the one in the one case, but it's a big, big case. Cranach, yep. a thought on Ezra Miller. This kid looked incredible coming out of high school. Yeah, four-star kid out of Iowa. Um, he was a coveted recruit for Iowa, too. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if anybody's noticed, but their offensive lines tend to be okay. <laughs> and they have they've been okay for a that while. That was hard for you to say. I I, I, know. I I hear I hear the pain in your voice. Yeah. Knowing how big an Iowa fan you are. But they do. They move in unison, they're big, they they wear on you, whatever. Um <laughs> but <laughs> so he's one of those guys. And uh he he didn't have a ton of offers coming out of high school because he was one of those Hawkeye fanatics. Mm-hmm. Um you just knew where he was gonna go. Nebraska gets those shares of guys too that are just nebraska fans that's just it there's no reason to get offers elsewhere because they're not going anywhere else um but stepped aside and is is transferring as a walk-on which i don't know exactly how how that works but i want to say that's you're eligible right away aren't you he is not it's going to take a waiver because because he was on scholarship before. Right. And he was on scholarship. He was on medical. Got and, it. And he's already used a red shirt. So he's got. Okay. He's going to have three years to play. But who I knows? mean, just the fact that he's been through practice at a Big Ten, right? Mm-hmm. At a Big Ten institution going against Big Ten offensive linemen, specifically Iowa. You know, that he's been through a place where he's had to withstand and witness racism on a ridiculous scale i'm kidding wow this, what? Didn't know, what didn't know we were going there that's their whole thing <laughs> that's what this what the hawkeyes are all about um man what that's not me <laughs> saying it it's the players saying it. that's why they're getting rid of their strength coach he he's he's gone yeah i know that's that's what i'm saying so like for him, anyways, I'm just saying this kid's seen a lot it's not in an his entire, young years. It's not an entirely accurate painting. <laughs> <laughs> this guy's seen a lot in his young years. And uh, better phrase, <laughs> yeah. And I just, I just think it helps. I, I, it, I mean, obviously, it, it's going to help. And Nebraska is suddenly, all of a sudden, you could call it loaded at offensive line at this point. Feels like it, doesn't it? Loaded. I mean, come on. 
How, how many people on the roster would you even call linemen right now? I, it's it's a filthy amount. 17, 18, something like that. At, at least. Yeah. There's got to be more than that, right? When you count the walk-ons? Oh, well, yeah, that's fair. I don't – yeah. And they're all monsters. This is another guy that's, what, 6'6"? Six, six? Is that right? 310, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's – I don't know. And again, does that happen this year? I don't know. But I think eventually, if you have six foot six, three hundred twenty pound, four star linemen practicing against against one another year after year after year, it's gonna bear some fruit eventually here. Yeah, and that's where I'm at on this guy is He's probably not going to come in and make a difference immediately, especially because he needs a waiver. Mm-hmm. But he's going to be coming in and playing the starting D lineman. And this is a guy that's knows Iowa. He's six foot six. He's got the frame of even the offensive guards are going to be seeing in the Big Ten. So f nothing else. Immediately, he's going to provide a big body, a big frame that's going to be able to go up against the starting D lineman and give them a good look that's been better than what they've been getting in recent years. You're going to win in this league moving forward with uh, line of scrimmage play. It's what's been lacking for Nebraska. They're trying to address that. I think Greg Austin's got a group he's going to be excited about, and not just this group this year, but future uh, prospects that are getting the development. And I know they've they've not had it without the spring ball, but when things, air quote, return to normal, you're going to see sort of that that reload ability, which is nice. Uh, and, And Ezra's a guy that, at some point, maybe he's he's your heir apparent to, to a Farniak, right? Um, and that'll be good. We will hit plenty of offensive line and have uh, a medical expert's take on football and COVID. The rewind shortly with mm-hmm. Rob Zadiska. Dr. Rob was with us earlier in the week. Kind of get his take on COVID and the positive tests and dealing with it as a program. And then... We will get uh, the uh, info on the left guard battle and, of course, that move by Farniok into right guard. And then some thoughts on on Ben Hart at, at right tackle and just that adjustment. So that's Schmidt. around the corner. What, 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 what? 26 guys listed as offensive linemen on the roster right now. Okay. So is there like eight or nine walk-ons? Uh, that would have to be, okay. yeah. Good. But, Good. but you think about some of the walk-ons, one of them is that I'm going to kill his name. The Colorado State kid? Yeah, Nuruddin Newley. 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 This dude, he played. Yeah. He played already for Colorado State. He walked on. And he's a shrimp at 6'4", 285. He's one of the small guys. Oh. I mean, seriously, though, that's a small lineman. If, if, if compared to most linemen in Nebraska, yeah, because they're that going six, 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 seven. Yeah, they're they're getting dudes that block the sun for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's small compared to most offensive linemen in the Big Ten. That's fair. Well, probably true. Real quick well, reminder about uh, drinking and driving. One out of three fatal crashes involves an impaired driver, drunk driving, buzzed, or high driving. Never acceptable. Law enforcement officers working around the clock to stop. Drunk driving with sobriety checkpoints and saturation patrols. As a driver, make that correct choice, a non-alcoholic drink, or have that pre-selected conversation. Who's driving home? Select that designated driver today. Brought to you by the Nebraska Department of Highway Safety Office. Rob Zadiska, thoughts on the O-line 
and uh, battling COVID-19. How do you do it as a program? The Good Doctor up next. Weekend edition of Hale Varsity continues, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Early to rise with Hale Varsity Radio, the voice of Husker Nation. Here's Chris Schmidt and Mark Cranach. Back with you, it's Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. We say hi to a Husker a Hall of Famer, All-American, and part of that vaunted pipeline, 1994 national champion. Rob Zadiska with us. Dr. Rob joins us. Rob, how's your, your weekend? Are you doing okay? Thanks for a few minutes. It was a nice one. We, uh, You know, I, we got a cabin up by North Bend, Nebraska. Oh, nice. So we, were, we were up there doing some, I call it yard work, but it's like shoveling sand from one place <laughs> to another. It's just one of those sand pits. It's right uh-huh. off the Platte River. No, nothing fancy, but it's kind of a nice little escape every so often. Hey, so. and you can get to the cabin, man. You put your feet up, soak the sun in. You, you feel like you went someplace, but you don't have to travel that much to do so. <laughs> well, Rob, I want to have you put on your, your, your surgical hat real quick, and let's talk a little bit here about what's been going on in college football before we talk offensive line and position groups for Nebraska. I want to kind of get your take on just your comfort level and just your outlook with college football 2020. You've had a number of programs, including Nebraska, and Nebraska has been really smart. I mean, I think they've handled things well. They have staggered kids coming in. At the same time, you look at K-State, they've had a spike in cases. Oklahoma State, Texas, LSU, Clemson. I mean, you see uh, COVID-19 cases popping up all over the country and increasing around the country. Are you pumping the brakes on your optimism that we'll have a season? Are you thinking things are okay. Where are you at right now from a medical standpoint? You know, I guess I've always had kind of a cautious optimism. Now, at the same time, too, again, you do look at kind of some of these test cases where where you mentioned a number of them. I know like Clemson and LSU are a couple of the big programs where they've had the the spike of cases within guys on the team. Now, it doesn't seem like, at least from what's hitting the media, it doesn't sound like there's been a lot of Mm -hmm. severity to them. So it's not like you're you're seeing, hey, we've got 21 or 23 cases and... 10 of them are in the hospital and five of them are in the ICU. You're not hearing that. So it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. I truly expect these numbers to increase. And when you look at COVID, it's kind of one of these these situations where you put a group of people in a bit of a smaller proximity and that's where you see the big uptick in cases. Food processing plants, the meatpacking plants in Nebraska, the nursing homes, things like that. That's, that's where you see these big explosions of cases. When you see people in large group gatherings, that's where you see the explosion in cases. All it takes is, man, you get one or two positives in a group of 100 guys. It's going to be hard to shut that off. And now I think Nebraska's done a good job with it. I would like to think these schools where you're seeing the big numbers popping up, like Clemson's the one that everybody kind of keeps going back to. You, you would hope that they had same or similar precautions in place and it was purely just kind of a happenstance that all it took was one exposure and then it spreads to 20, 30, 40 guys all of a sudden. I think Nebraska's done it right. I think they've tried to do it right. But in truth, the reality is is all it takes is for one guy to bring that virus in and all of a sudden you've got 20 guys 
same boat as ever with, with these other schools sure. that have had the outbreaks. In terms of how it's going to play out long term, man, we just don't know. This is still mm. kind of a, in terms of the knowledge base, this is still kind of a day by day, week by week in terms of how it's playing out. I'm still fairly optimistic, but you are seeing an uptick across the country as all these different states kind of start relaxing restrictions and start opening back up again. And the question will be how many people are severely affected and how how much is this going to actually affect the healthcare system? The, the original flattening the curve, it wasn't necessarily meant to prevent people from getting infected, period. It was meant to, hey, let's slow the rush on the healthcare system mm-hmm. so we don't overwhelm it all at once. I'll be curious to see if that happens, if we get this big spike in cases as we reopen and you get that overwhelming of the healthcare system. And, and right now, so far, we, we've been okay, but there's still a lot of unknowns and that absolutely applies to how this is going to affect sports going forward this fall. Rob Zadiska is with his Husker standout All-American and uh, Dr. Rob Zadiska. It's one thing to, to be infected. It's another thing to, God forbid, you, you're in the hospital in intensive care. I mean, that's very scary and it's unfortunate that some folks have, have had to deal with that. It just takes that one interaction like you touched on and it sounds like down in Manhattan for K-State with, with them as an example where you go to one party and next thing you know there's 15 guys on the team that, that have it. The other side of this, Rob, folks are going to get infected. Kids are going to get this. It's not great to get, but if you're going to get it, is it better for college football for kids to get it now versus as we are trying to inch closer to kickoff in September? If you frame it in the light of Let's get a season in. going to happen. <laughs> yeah, if we're going to go through this reopening, if we're going to give this a try this year in 2020, if we're going to try and see if we can't put these sports seasons out there, I would say it's a lot better. Let's, let's test run it now and see what happens. Is there going to be a degree of herd immunity that builds up? Do you catch this, get antibodies, and then you're going to have this degree of immunity? Now, those are still questions that don't have a great answer. In truth, it probably does confer some degree of, of immunity, but at the same time, they're also finding that antibody levels tend to drop actually surprisingly quickly with this particular virus. It's, it's not something where you're where, where the antibodies stick around, and when you look at places that have done a wide-scale reopening, Sweden's a great test case country because they, they didn't do a lot of restrictions from the get-go, and for a country of its size, they had tons of numbers of cases. It, it's still a little bit questionable how much immunity actually gets conferred by this, by, by those antibodies that your body creates to this virus. And so the ideal would be we do this, bunch of guys, bunch of young, healthy guys get it, knock on wood, nobody's injured or mm-hmm. severely affected by it. They get over it and we roll on into the football season with this huge amount of herd immunity amongst college athletes. I mean, that, that, would, be the, that would be the ideal case. We don't know if that's going to happen yet. 
yet, though. We don't have a test case for this. It's the line that kind of gets used frequently, and there's a lot of truth to this, is we're flying the airplane while we're building it. And that's what we're going to have to find out with this is, are we going to run through the, the next couple of months here, end of June, July, early August? I will be shocked if pretty much everybody, every sports team doesn't come down with a large number of cases. Right. I just don't see that not happening. And the idea would be, it's like, well, let's see if that happens. We get through it, and then we play on into the fall after everybody's recovered. Right. And that, like I said, that would be the ideal situation. Rob, we'll get to football. I want one more medical thought from you. Rob Zadiska with us, Hale Varsity Radio. You've been in medicine a long time, and when this first came on the radar, what was your reaction? Like, I remember with... When, when March hit, right, I'm getting ready for state tournament games and oh, no. Right. I mean, the, 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 the United States comes to a screeching halt. UNMC, the medical community in Nebraska you're a part of is, is phenomenal. So I wasn't like super worried. Uh, maybe I'm just overly optimistic. But you as a medical practitioner, man, as a guy that's done the school, you know, the science, you're educated, you, you, you provide care to people. What what did you think when when here's this virus from China that's rolling in? I was you know initially it was a little the initial hope was is that this would be something like the salt the the, the, the like the first SARS like the SARS one outbreak several mm-hmm. years ago and then you had the the. Uh, the MERS virus outbreak, and, and those were those were actually very very lethal viruses. Mm-hmm. Though those, truth be told, they kind of killed you before you had a chance to spread it. Okay. Um, when you look at the numbers, nation or not not well nationwide, but worldwide as well, that SARS one outbreak. Um, I'd have to go back and look for the exact numbers, but I think there was just shy of 10,000 total cases worldwide. And that was a huge deal at the time, and partly because it was so fatal. I mean, it had, a, it had about a 10% fatality rate. So if you got it, you had about a 1 in 10 chance you're, you're going to die. Mm. So, but it stayed very, it was very localized in, in certain locations, very little spread, and then it was kind of poof. It was one of those things that just kind of went away. Mm-hmm. Same thing with MERS, which affected even fewer people. I think that was around four or 5,000 total cases worldwide. The hope was is that this was going to be something like this. Hey, this is going to hit this really set group of people, a set defined population here or there, and then it's going to kind of poof, sort of disappear, and hopefully we don't see this crap again for several decades Um, and this has not proven to be like that this has been much more like your standard influenza A influenza B that kind of comes around hits all populations to some degree and then lingers for months and that's kind of what we're seeing with this Um, and so it it, kind of I was like I said, initially, I was kind of optimistic this was going to be something where when this popped up in March, it was one of those like, whoa, we need to shut everything down and we need to do it now. And hopefully by May, maybe June at the latest, this thing's going to be gone. 
that hasn't happened. So it's disappointed to say the least. And I think from a medical standpoint, hugely disappointed in terms of how this has affected the worldwide population. It's it, at this point in time, and this is kind of the, I don't mean to be sort of, sort of doom and gloom on this. I don't see, and I don't think most of the experts see a defined endpoint. And that's kind of the scary thing with this is that you talk to most of those, the infectious disease experts, the epidemiologists, there's really not a good, hard, solid, defined endpoint. And that's why I think getting a vaccine out is kind of is going to be kind of a very important aspect to this is because one of the things that I think really lends to influenza A and B having kind of that defined quote-unquote flu season is because so many people do get a flu shot or get a flu vaccine every year. You do have a little bit of a true herd immunity from that. Um, Now, that being said, influenza still kills anywhere from 30 to 70,000 Americans every year. And so it's still a pretty bad disease, although it doesn't get, it kind of gets short shrift in terms of how people view it. Um, but we have a little bit of a defined start and, and a, a season of influenza. We don't have that with this yet. And so that's, that, that's always a little disconcerting. Rob, we're going to switch to football. Nebraska has a lot of experience back on the offensive line. Hymas, uh, options at left guard. There'll be a position battle there. Juergens at center. What's Matt Farniak looking at moving into to guard? Uh, you played tackle. I'm sure you've spent a little time at guard in your career, in your different spots in your career. But give me a, a thought what Matt's up against. Not that he can't do it. It's just a different look. And then also, what's what's the, the, the learning curve for, for Bryce Benhart or a Turner Corcoran at the right tackle spot? You know, at least as far as moving to guard. I mean, Farniak, he started, I thought it was as a redshirt freshman. I think I you're he right. Played yeah. two or, he played a few games at guard as a redshirt fresh. He's been there before. Before. So this isn't going to be completely foreign to him. I, I think in terms of his overall skill set, mm-hmm. I, I think guard's a little bit of a more natural position for him. I think he's one of those guys who he'll always be a eh, he's he's a serviceable right tackle. Mm-hmm. And it's not one of these. Oh yeah, this guy's got that spot locked down, and this is a great right tackle. This is the next Zach Weger at right tackle. That's not Farniak. He's he's serviceable at right tackle. I, I think some of his lateral movement and his ability to take on kind of the good combo defensive ends, the, mm-hmm. the guys like Epinesa from Iowa, those guys that have that nice combination, that 6'6", 280, 290, but can still move. He struggles with those guys. You give him the, the 6'3", 240-pound defensive end, he's going to be fine. You give him the 6'4", 320-pound defensive end, who's maybe not a super fast guy, he's going to be fine. You give him that prototypical Bosa, Epinesa, NFL caliber defensive end, which, I mean, obviously those guys give everybody trouble, but he's going to struggle with that a little bit. I think you move him into guard and where that lateral movement doesn't have to be as big of an issue, you've got less space to cover. I, I think he's going to do much better at that spot. For a guy like Ben Hart, you got a guy who's been primarily a tackling 
and I think it's a much more nat- same with Cork, much more natural offensive tackle. I think they're used to moving in space. I think they got a little bit better range, a little bit bit longer arms. When, when you think of some of those physical attributes, I, I'm not saying Farniak's not a great great athlete. I think he's an outstanding athlete. I think Ben Hart's a better athlete. Wow. I think for a guy his size, I think Ben Hart moves better. I think he's got better better lateral movement. And I think he has a little bit better overall feet than Farniak has, and I think that's going to make him better suited to hold down that tackle spot. Corcoran, I you know, truth be told, outside of some all-star game film and then like the the huddle films, I, I haven't watched him as much as I've watched Ben Hart. And when you look at Ben Hart, you got a guy who ended up getting some pretty solid game time last year. It, I, I'm, I'm still I'm a huge fan of the four-game rule for yeah. for for people being able to redshirt. I think that's the greatest thing ever. We can, we can go back and look and see how Ben Hart did last year, and I thought he held his own. And so for, for a true freshman last year to be able to do that in limited game time, I thought that was pretty impressive. I, I'm excited to see what a guy like him could do. You look at that other guard spot where you're probably going to have, I mean, initially it's going to be Wilson and Hicks, and I think fighting it out for that one. Uh I think I think Hickson might actually have the edge there a little bit in terms of both size and technique. Uh, but don't don't sleep on Ethan Piper either. I mean, you got a guy. What do you like about Ethan? I mean, because people kind of rave about him. I think get it. It's kind of the Ben Hart thing. Okay. I think he's a little bit better natural athlete, and I think he has a little bit better raw raw size and strength. Okay. When I watch what he's able to do, when you watch him play, his his natural strength is just better. I'll, I, I've, I've watched him, and when you see clips of him, again, and a lot of it's with, with Piper, it's, mm-hmm. it's kind of like the huddle film, that kind of stuff. It's interesting to me because when I see him get out of position where maybe, okay, he hit a guy, his technique wasn't perfect, Maybe he didn't didn't have his shoulders low enough. Maybe he didn't get as good a hip hip and knee bend on a p- particular play. You'll see him able to compensate with just kind of raw strength, and so he's got kind of that as a backup. Where a guy like Hickson, he's a big, strong kid. Don't get me wrong. I mean, we're kind of splitting hairs mm-hmm. here. I mean, when you're talking three hundred pound weightlifters, they're all big, strong guys. It's just on occasion when I saw Hickson or Wilson get out of position, you could see, you'd see him get beat more frequently than if I saw like a guy like the tape I've watched of Piper. I've watched him get out of position, and all of a sudden he'll just manhandle a guy with raw strength and raw athleticism. And that's something I saw with Jurgens as well, too, is that he was able to compensate for a lot of inexperience mm-hmm. just by the fact that he's a really, really explosive athlete. Same thing with Piper, same thing with Ben Hart. It's that those guys who can kind of, oh, you know what, he, did, he didn't have the best technique on that play, and he still beat his guy just because he's kind of a freak of nature athlete. Rob Zadisco um, with his son, Hale Varsity. Rob, no, last thought here on the O-line, as a, as a collection do you feel pretty good about this group? I mean, could it be the strength for Nebraska this year on the offense? Boy, I, 
I don't know. And, and okay. the reason I say that is that, again, I think in terms of personnel, we're moving towards, quote unquote, the right personnel. I think we're moving towards the right talent level. When I look at these guys, it reminds me a lot of what we had on the offensive line back in 91, 92. Okay. Which, in reality, I think we you had some great, great players. Now, we also had guys like Will Shields, who were <laughs> college and NFL Hall of Famers, too, and Zach Wiegert and Brendan Stye and Aaron Graham. You had a whole slew of guys who were true All-Americans and NFL and future NFL guys, so it, it's a little bit different. But when I look at 91-92, the thing I saw was you had a lot of redshirt freshmen, redshirt sophomores that were stepping up, and and that's kind of what gelled into those offensive lines of 94, 95, 6, 7, 99, et cetera. Mm-hmm. 91 was still a little bit of a, hey, we think we've hit on something here personnel-wise, but it still took a couple of years for that to kind of gel. And, and I think that's, that's where I look at with these guys right now. If you want a comparison, that's kind of what it looks like to me in my head. Is that, okay, they, they're getting the personnel they need. They're getting the people in the spots they need. They're getting the talent level they need. I still think this group's probably another year or two away from being something special. Rob Zadis, go with us. Rob, this was awesome, man. Thanks for checking in on the offensive line, and thanks for your medical expertise and thoughts on, on college football and COVID moving forward. We'll get to football season soon enough, man, and we'll get caught up again. How's that sound? Absolutely. The Hale Varsity Radio Saturday Morning Show, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Strap yourselves in. Here are your hosts, Chris Schmidt. Y'all don't even know he was a virgin until he's 28, and now, roll time. And Mark Cranach. Time has come for someone to put his foot down. And that foot is me. Back with you, Tower 2 Weekend Edition, Hale Bar City Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery, Chris Schmidt. Mark Cranach, give us a follow on Twitter at Schmidt underscore radio at Mark Skurs. Elijah Herbal in this morning at Herbal Essence on Twitter. And you find Brandon Vogel at Brandon L. Vogel on Twitter, managing editor for HaleVarsity.com and Magazine. The yearbook is in the mail. The yearbook is headed to newsstands. The Hale Varsity Yearbook 2020 your Husker College Football Bible. Good morning, Vogues. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you guys? We are good. So I need to throw this out to the crew. And this is something I'm thinking about starting. And it's not necessarily sports-related, although it, it can be sports-involved. And that's that's family movie night. And a buddy of mine, Nitro is his name. He's up in Omaha. He had family movie night. He's got a projection set up. So they can project either on the side of their their house slash garage, and and they watched Caddyshack. Bold choice for a family of of five, with many of them under the age of twelve. But nonetheless, Caddyshack's a winner for me. Uh, good call there. Uh, there was a, a request on on movie suggestions. It's got to be kid friendly. My suggestions of Basic Instinct or Fast Times at Ridgemont High got shot down. Vogues, I need a good '80s suggestion from you if we're going to do this family movie night thing. Hmm. Junior's twelve. Well, junior's thirteen, going on thirty. So, 
I think we gotta we gotta win Mama okay. over more than Junior. Okay, so that's that's as young as we need to go. Um, well, it's not from the '80s, but as we approach July Fourth, um, something that I always do is watch one of my favorite movies, which is Jaws. Um, yeah, so you, so you got some gore in there. You, you know, it's it's a little bit. There's the yeah, grotesque. New, they've got the nudity. I mean. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's true. I mean, if, if Junior plays video games, like he's used to this stuff, so um, I think it'll be fine. Um, I definitely watched that that movie before I was twelve. Uh, not to you know tell you what to do here, but um, <laughs> thematically, it's it's still like it, it, it basically made the summer blockbuster. Um, it's basically a perfect movie, and. It's all about Fourth uh, of July weekend on Amity Island, so that's right. that's my pick. Uh, might be pushing the pushing the boundaries a little bit, but I have I have not checked Junior's search history, so um, <laughs> I, I I you know Jaws may be nothing nothing to scream at. Uh, it might not be. <laughs> Quite uh, like, what do you what do you got? <laughs> uh, so summer movie. It's not Fourth of July specific, but one crazy summer ah. would be a great one. Is that the UCLA can, quarterback? No, no, no. One crazy summer. It's um, John Cusack, okay. Jimmy Moore, Bobcat Goldweight. I like that guy actually. Oh, <laughs> dude, it's perfect. I mean, it's a really funny, ridiculous movie. Okay. Uh, Have you seen that one, Brandon? I don't think I have actually, but it's sounds intriguing. It's pretty legit. It, it takes place in Nantucket. Like there's, it's the rich people versus the poor people. It's yeah, it's good. Bobcats, <laughs> typical Bobcat in there. Hey, Cookie, I'm Egg Gemini. Like this, yeah, he's str- struggling with anxiety through his speech. Uh, Bobcat's uh, role in the movie Blow is underrated. <laughs> I get to see that one. You haven't seen Blow yet? No. Really? With Johnny Depp? <clears throat> Dude, no. it's it's great. I should see it. Yeah. Elijah, you got a suggestion. Search history. You gotta be careful. <laughs> <laughs> well, the one my dad showed me when I was probably way too young about Junior's age was Porky's. <laughs> oh yeah. He showed me that one about twelve thirteen. I loved that movie when I was uh, when I was that age. Of course you did. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not sure how your wife would be feeling about that one, but if, if you got like a couple weekends, Lord of the Rings trilogy. Nah, I don't know. Oh, are you kidding? Have you has he seen it? <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, that's a great one. That's a great, especially that age too. I loved Lord of the Rings at that age. Maybe, maybe Grandma showed it to him. Uh, Coach Brad off the top rope. Hoo He says scent of a woman. I think scent of a woman's uh, a great call. <laughs> Especially the Ferrari scene. We'll get to sports here, but I needed to, I needed to, to pull the room here. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Has he seen Ferris Bueller's Day Off? Yeah, he loves that movie. Okay, that's a great movie. Yeah. Yep. So, uh, Child Protective is on their way for me, and uh, there we go. Vogues, I, I love your buy and sell. You're going through uh, all the Big Ten teams. You're, uh, you're really laying out <laughs> a tough choice for me, and, and, and Elijah and I talked about it yesterday, and Cranach jump in here, in here on this as well, but... Is there a more difficult team than than Penn State to try and buy or sell for 2020, assuming we have football, with with what they've got coming back, what they've lost, and how they I mean they finished top ten and eleven and two. I mean, and and they're supposed to be loaded, and they're going to be 
preseason top top five, and they've got a quarterback coming back. They got Micah Parsons off the edge. I mean, they host Ohio State. Their schedule's not easy. They go to Michigan. They go to Virginia Tech. But it is manageable. Those are games they can win. Uh, they 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 get Iowa and Ohio State, I think, consecutively. But they're at home. Uh, how are you feeling here about Penn State? Can they at least equal last season? I think, dude. I think they can they can be the second Big Ten team into a playoff. I that's that's my take. I think they're that good. Yeah, I think I think that's their ceiling for 2020 as well. And whether you know. Getting that Ohio State game at home, and we know, like James James Franklin has acknowledged it. He acknowledged it last year after they they played Ohio State. He's like, this is it. He's like, this is the the final boss. Uh, we have to like get over that hump because we kind of cleared about everything up to that point. So it, it's a tough buy from that perspective because there's just not a lot of room to to go up. And, and there's an expectation to go up, as there always is in college football. But based on kind of personnel and, and what they have returning and the way the schedule sets up, that one was a pretty easy buy for me, um, even knowing that the profit margin probably isn't huge on them. Uh, Michigan was honestly a, a tougher one for me because I think they could be pretty good again. Um are they going to get over, you know, they've got two humps to get over, basically, with Penn State and, and Ohio State, of course. Uh, it all depends on quarterback play for me there. But, you know, that, that Penn State game is interesting. I know we talked about it on Thursday. You know, Nebraska kind of gets them at an interesting point in which they'll have kind of been through that October gauntlet. So they'll have played, you know, that Michigan-Iowa-Ohio State stretch there's a bye week in there, but basically back to back to back. Um, it'll 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 be a really good litmus test for Nebraska. But I think I think Penn State, James Franklin has done a really good job of kind of building to this point, and and I don't see them falling off. I, you know, I wouldn't pick them to Ohio State is the favorite in the Big Ten until <laughs> something drastically changes. Um, but they're pretty they're pretty loaded for bear, and I think they're going to be a really tough team. Yeah, and they, you know, they, I see them as basically overachieving for the last several years, right? It, it doesn't, it doesn't feel like they're, con, it doesn't feel like they go into many seasons being top ten or top five, but they kind of end up there, <laughs> just about every single year. Um, and maybe that does speak a little bit more. Franklin, for whatever reason, has sort of rubbed me the wrong way. I, he's got the shoe salesman thing going on a little bit. <laughs> Um, to me, right? I, I just, I don't know. I've never been sold on him. Is that him, but an Al Bundy have... compliment or what? Well, look, nothing against shoe salesmen. Um, but, you know, he's just, he's he's selling it. it I, I don't know. He He's always rubbed me a little differently. Um, but, God, you have to look at what he's put together. And then specifically on defense. I mean, Micah Parsons is a generational type, mm-hmm. type player. Um, and that gets overlooked a lot with Penn State. You know, LeVar Arrington days notwithstanding, you know, they're you haven't talked a ton about their defense in recent years, but uh, <laughs> they're pretty tough. They're, they're, they're pretty tough overall. And Brandon, you brought it up. This is this is Nebraska. Nebraska gets them November 7th. So on Halloween, it's at Ohio State. That ought to go well. Um, and then the very next week, it's it's Penn State coming into Lincoln. 
And by then, um, by then, try to project where Nebraska will be mentally versus where Penn State will be, right? Nebraska is going to be coming off probably a a tough week. I I don't know. I I could see Penn State making some noise this year and and really challenging Ohio State for the for the East Crown. Yeah, I I think so. And just just the fact that they get that Ohio State game in State College, it's huge. You know that's that's a that's a real legitimate home field advantage for them now. Assuming, assuming mm-hmm. home fields look anything like you know, they, oh, right. we're used to them looking, um, and and the same would go for Nebraska. But I think, you know, that late in the season, kind of where wherever Nebraska is at, like it's it's the game that you look at, sort of the way we looked at Ohio State last year, you know, back in the off season when we we're like, oh, Nebraska's on a straight upward trajectory, everything's great, this is all on schedule. Um, it's the game you can point to to say, like, that's your chance. That's your chance to make somebody take notice. And we'll see. You know, we'll see how powerful that can be for Nebraska. That statement opportunity. I'm interested, Vogues, with, you know, as we kind of project that point in the season in kind of a crossroads moment, what's, what's Penn's, they're, they're, they're through their gauntlet. Nebraska's in the midst of theirs when Nebraska and Penn State will meet. It's Minnesota's a huge game, obviously. Cincinnati's good. South Dakota State's a good program. Purdue's monstrous, how you kick and start the season off, not only in the West, but what kind of statement do you make against a team that's had your number the last two years in Purdue? But from a splash standpoint, you know, getting Penn State at home, how do you respond after – uh, whatever happens in Columbus, right? How do you respond with another blue blood coming in? It can set up well. Penn State doesn't typically drop those games. As I look at Penn State the last few years, they found ways to win in Iowa, right? I mean, like good Iowa teams, yep. but nine and three, eight and four Iowa teams, and and that's where Nebraska's trying to get back to being. Okay, they're not probably far off from that. Uh, here, as you, as you look forward. Penn State, for the first time in a long time, stubbed their toe a season ago, same time of the year, same point in the season, at Minnesota. And that kind of sprung board Minnesota to not just relevancy, but it kind of it, it validated them a little bit. Now, their they're end of November with a tough one at Iowa City, and then the way Minnesota got smoked by Wisconsin, the, the payback was very real. But, it, you know, Minnesota righted themselves. I don't know if, if Penn State is going to slip up two years in a row. I just – who knows, man? It's, it's too far away. But they, they have survived those tough November games either at home against an Ohio State or uh, against Michigan or against Sparty, right? I mean, I just go, go through the East. They don't misstep. That was the first time in forever – that a team that on paper they're more talented than beat them. And the way that, that Penn State lost was a lot of it was self-infliction uh, with scoring opportunities. I just don't know if you – know, I think Nebraska can play well against Penn State. I think Nebraska can beat Penn State. I just don't think Penn State, the way their program's going with Franklin, they beat who they're supposed to beat most of the time. 
They do, and I don't. I don't remember off the top of my head the line for that Minnesota game. I mean, because you're right. Like that was the game where it was like, okay, this isn't just like Minnesota's kind of had, you know, really had a a quietly tough non-conference schedule last they year, did. and then kind of <laughs> ramped up to that point, and then it was like, okay, yeah, this, you know, it's the point where Minnesota goes from like the 17th ranked team to, oh, they've got to be in the top 10 because they mm-hmm. just smoked Penn State. And, you know, to the degree that Penn State went out and hired Minnesota's offensive coordinator mm. in, in the offseason. Off and I don't think that's, that's totally unrelated. You know, that, that Penn State game, so it, it's just interesting in that, okay, a lot of their, their hay will be in the barn by that point. Nebraska is, is the opposite. So you look at that Halloween trip to to Columbus probably I mean not probably almost certainly Nebraska that'll be the most they are an underdog all year long but you know they may not be a favorite at any point after that um, depending on where Penn State's at and then you've got Wisconsin Iowa finish up with Minnesota at home like Nebraska goes two and three in that stretch Uh, it's pretty good but which which two wins are you picking you know are you going Wisconsin, Iowa on the road? I mean, maybe Minnesota's Minnesota's maybe the most likely one. Mm-hmm. But what's the other win in that five game stretch? It's uh, it's interesting. So you got to kind of steal one, and and you know Penn State. Uh, we'll see where they're at, but that would be a pretty good one to steal. Brandon Vogel is with us on Hale Varsity Radio. Nebraska gets a transfer from Iowa. He's walking on. He was a scholarship guy at Iowa. Ezra Miller, um, and he's from the state, stepped aside with a medical red shirt. Turns out it was for um, mental issues that, that he has since taken care of. But because of, he took a medical, he can't go back to Iowa. So Nebraska is getting a, um, not, not only a Big Ten caliber, but an Iowa caliber offensive lineman transferring in, not on scholarship, and really bolstering I was adding it up. I think it's 26 offensive linemen on the roster right now for, for Nebraska. Um, how, how do you look at this line this year and moving forward? And I'm, I'm, I don't want to lead you here, but I, I don't see any way when you have those kind of numbers and you have that kind of size that you're bringing in, these are monstrous offensive linemen for the most part. They're almost all 6'5 and above. They're almost all 300-plus pounds. Um, they're, almost all of them had a wealth of offers coming out of high school. So these aren't, these aren't also-ran-type guys. Maybe it doesn't bear fruit this year. Who knows? But over time, that has to lead to putting together a pretty salty group. Are, are you bullish on what they're doing offensive line-wise? Absolutely. I mean, you, you just kind of look at the measurables for those guys, uh, whether transfers or um, coming out of coming out of high school, and they just look different. Like, they're recruiting to, like, a different spec than, than Nebraska had previously. And in 2020, I don't – know if if Nebraska's O-line gets there, but I think they have the highest ceiling of any position group on offense. Hmm. Um, so so we'll, we'll see how we'll, we'll see how that kind of comes together. There's there's some gelling that needs to happen. I mean, it looks like Nebraska is prepared to start a redshirt freshman at right tackle. 
and, and have kind of an open competition then at left guard. Um, so things get, get a little bit interesting, but you kind of fast forward this maybe two seasons and all of a sudden things start to look kind of vintage if everything goes according to plan. So you got Cam Jurgens and, and maybe Ethan Piper, two in-state kids who are like, you know, kind of the classic 90s uh, profile of played multiple sports, super athletes. They also happen to be, you know, really, really good offensive linemen. You got somebody like Ben Hart, assuming he wins that job and holds that down, who's kind of the the high-profile import from, from out of state. Turner Corcoran might be in that mix. Um, you might even have a guy like Nordai Newley, who in-state walk-on kid from a totally unique background, who could be in that mix. Um, all of a sudden, it starts to look like, oh, yeah, this, this feels pretty familiar. Now, a lot has to be sorted out before then. I'm not saying that group is that now, but you just start to look at it, what it could be in 2020 and what it could be a little bit down the road, and it starts to, it starts to feel a little bit familiar. And it's hard for me to see Nebraska getting back to where it wants to be as a program, uh, where its historical standing has been, without that being the case. Brandon, you mentioned Nordy Newley. You got Ezra Miller as well, both walk-ons uh, from former or that had scholarships at Division One schools. When we're moving forward into the fall, everyone loves seeing the videos of these walk-ons getting their scholarships. Do we know how many walk-ons could be in line to be getting scholarships this fall? I think a little. I think no, not at this at this point. And I think you know, with just how how chaotic things have have been with through the pandemic, and like there's still a lot to be sorted out for for football season in general. I, I think that might put a little bit of a pause on that. And some of it will depend, too. Like, Nebraska's out there actively trying to, to fill a scholarship for the, the 2020 class. So that changes a little bit, too. It's one of those things you get to fall camp and, and say, um, okay, we know we're going to have these two open. Who, who deserves it the most? Um, and, that, and that typically goes to, to guys that are upperclassmen. So, I, I would assume it'll probably be business as usual there, but when you when you start to look at the numbers on the offensive line, and I mean Trent Hickson made a enormous contribution there as a walk on last year. Uh, there's there's a lot of candidates, and, and I think that's where they want things to be. I mean Nebraska is bringing in a ton of walk ons, which which Coach Frost said he was going to do the day that he was hired, but it's still a little bit shocking to just see how big those numbers are. Vogue's real quick, uh, tell folks about the yearbook and uh, a lot of subscribers, clearly, but folks also going to be out and about, and uh, the 2020 edition will be uh, saying, hey, look at me, buy me, flip, flip through me <laughs> yeah. for football. Yeah, I really think, I, I really think today might be, might be the first day that you, you have a pretty good chance of, of seeing it on newsstands, so, so if you're not a subscriber... Um, definitely look for it. It'll it'll be out and about. We already saw some some feedback from some people that they had received it in the mail this this week for those subscribers who are closest to to Omaha where the magazine's printed and shipped. Um, so it's it's getting out there. I'm excited for people to see it. Um, I really appreciate it when people reach out and kind of express their their excitement about just getting it. You know, we we took a a two month break for the first time since since we started Hale Varsity in 2012. 
uh, around the pandemic. So it, it feels really good to be to be back out there. Um, and for for my money, you know, there, there's a lot of college football previews out there, and I buy about all of the national ones, even knowing that like three of them, I'm not going to like that much. But <laughs> I, I really do believe for for the Nebraska fan to get a basically 160 page book. Uh, solely devoted to Nebraska, but also, you know, touching on the Big Ten and, and the teams on Nebraska's schedule. Uh, it's not something that everybody gets. If you're you're random uh, sort of Auburn fan, you may not get that sort of preview. So if you've never seen it before, give it a chance, check it out. Uh, if you have seen it before, thank you, and uh, hope you like the new one. We will love it. Vogue, you take care and have a good weekend. Thanks for a few minutes today. Thanks, guys. There he is. Thanks, That's Brandon. Brandon Vogel with his managing I, editor, HaleVarsity.com and Magazine. I'd imagine the Auburn football yearbook would have to have a lot of pictures. <laughs> well, yeah. We, uh, we we talked about Auburn this week in our uh, our YouTube Tuesday. Mitch Crank was with us, tight end for Nebraska. As okay. We, we, we relived the 82 uh, Nebraska-Auburn game. And that was right after Nebraska got hosed by Penn State, and they went down and beat Bo Jackson 41-7. to Ooh, and like, you know, that's that's a little piece of Husker history I'm not that familiar with. So Bo Jackson could not do anything on the black he, shirts. He scored a touchdown, but ran five times for 18 yards. Why didn't they give him the ball more than five times? Well, because they had a tsunami of Turner Gill in the fourth quarter and the game got out of hand. Uh, gotcha. And, and T.O. kind of did ball control in the second half. <laughs> Makes sense. Okay. <laughs> no, but think about think about that. Think about that on your schedule. You're at Penn State, and then your next game's at Auburn. We're talking back <laughs> to back. <laughs> Not even in conference. Not like, even, that's... That, that's your freaking non-conference. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is crazy to think about. Pretty good. We'll uh, run down the Iron Horse. Gary Sharp's up next. Hail Varsity continues. Weekend edition presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Glad to have you back. Yes, sir. You heard me right. Here are the guys, Schmidt and Cranach. Well, Hector, here's the game plan. Gonna bring us two absolute martinis. You know how I like them straight up. And then precisely seven and one half minutes after that, you're gonna bring us two more. And then two more after that every five minutes until one of us passes out. Excellent strategy, sir. Weekend edition rolls forward. It's Hale Var City presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Chris Schmidt, Mark Cranach, Elijah Herbal. The Iron Horse is back. It is Gary Sharp. Sharpie, we are going around the room. And uh, Vogel suggested Jaws for Schmidt summer movie night on the weekend. Elijah came with Porky's. Uh, what say you for uh, uh, maybe a, a weekend sh- cinema at the Schmidt household? What are you throwing at me? Uh, National Lampoon's Vacation. Okay, okay. That's, that's a great call. Have you seen One Crazy Summer? Cusack, <laughs> um, Denny, Denny Moore, Bobcat Goldweight. Oh, it's a movie. I thought you were talking about that one summer you had as a single guy when you were in your 20s. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> totally different. Similar. Different. Yeah. Well, I think, if you watch, I think if you watch National Lampoon Vacation, you know where John Candy's character comes out mm-hmm. and tells you the park is closed? I hope 10 weeks from now we don't have somebody standing there telling us that college football is closed. I can see right now a little, little red in front of the gates, and 
someone going Clark on Marty Moose's nose. If, if, if Little Red's holding the sign up that says, uh, sorry, folks, the park's closed, uh, what's your fear factor like right now? Well, I will tell you this. First and foremost, I had a great conversation two days ago with, uh, and I, I won't put him out there, he's an athletic director who runs a major university with a Power 5 college football program. And we discussed, and then and, and where they're located, uh, they've got a pretty good plan, and they've had a, a couple of positive uh, test results for the student-athletes coming back, but they're in a state that is okay right now. Okay. Um, he said the biggest, the biggest thing for all of college athletics is the next three to four weeks um, because not only in their campuses and their communities, you know, you're starting to see cases go up around the country, of course. That's dominated the headlines for the last few days, especially in places like Texas and Florida. Uh, he says, though, because now you're, you're into the mode of regular testing with your, your student-athletes back on campus, you're going to transition from the return to campus to return to competition. When players are around each other a little bit more and they can ramp up things that they're doing and, of course, looking towards August. So, you know, it wasn't a great week, um, but we still have some time. But I think everybody needs to do their job because, first and foremost, guys, whether it be professional sports or college sports, if it was just about health, we're not playing. We're shutting her down till 2021. This is financial. And you hear Michigan saying we've got a $26 million budget deficit in our athletic department next year. You know what Nebraska did last week with their athletic department? You know what they announced yesterday with their overall um, university system budget? They have to find a way to play fall sports, but they have to find a way to do it safe. Um, but watch the next three to four weeks uh, are going to be crucial. But it's right now, when you ask that question and we talk about it, you guys talk about it, I think it's still okay to say, I don't know if we're going to have college football 10 weeks from now. But I do know that if we don't have college football in any form, it'll be devastating to college athletics, and it'll be devastating to the psyche of people in this country that that either make their livelihood off of that or they love the sport so much. Gary Sharp is with us on Hale Varsity Radio, and, of course, in order to participate in a sport, you need a roster. And when you look at rosters, look at Nebraska's roster. This is unofficial, but a quick little quiz, because I love doing these quizzes. Um, unofficial. Look at Nebraska's 2017 roster. Okay? So that those would presumably be guys that are entering their redshirt sophomore or junior years at yeah. Nebraska this year, right? If I have that right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, so how many from that roster, the 2017 roster, overall are still with the program? Scholarship or total? Just total. Uh, 21. You're close, It's and it's very low. It's 27. So okay. if you think about a, a roster of 130-some guys... And the bulk of your roster is always underclassmen just by nature of how it goes with walk-ons and red shirts and all that. There's only 27 guys left from from the roster that Frost walked into. I think we all knew there was going to be a roster flip. Is this more extreme than maybe you thought it would be even then? Uh, yes, but you know what? Mark, don't you think that this probably the flipping of the roster should have happened earlier? You know, if there's if Mike Riley goes back and says, okay, if there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten things that I would have changed with my tenure in Nebraska, I think instead of coming in in 2015 and letting it be a player-led program, 
he would have come in and flipped the roster right away. So it was a gradual 15 to 16 to maybe 17, where you wouldn't have the extreme 17 to 20 roster flip like we have now, but it had to be done. And Scott Frost was just the first person to really do it in a full scale. And I think that's why you get a sense that with this roster now, he's a lot more comfortable, one, most importantly, in talent, and two, the kind of culture that he has built there, because I think he knows more players in the program than he's ever known. Um, You know, he maybe didn't know those guys when he walked in the door so well. I think now he has a good handle on all of his guys that are in the program and understand what makes him tick, and they understand what makes him tick, because that's not easy to do. Gary Sharp's with us on Hale Varsity. Uh, we talk about current guys and roster and the ability to, to kind of communicate and, and, and be there for one another. Let's, let's talk recruiting, Sharpie, and I look at what Nebraska's done during the pandemic. I look at the 10 verbals and how many have not been to Lincoln. They've just seen the digital virtual tour, and that's impressive. Tell me what your, your first takeaway is on, on Gabe Irvin, uh, the kid out of Buford, Georgia, Nebraska, locking up a, a back that they want in a position of need for 2021. Let's go to Irvin, and Cranach and I can't say enough nice things about him. You've been around uh, college football a yeah. lot. You've seen recruiting a lot. What, what ty- what's your takeaway with, with the get for Nebraska? Well, you and Mark are absolutely right. That's a, that's a big pickup for Nebraska. One, because it's from a very good high school program. So when you watch his film – and you look at the players that he's playing against, you know that it's at a fairly high level in the state of Georgia. Uh, I, I looked at him right away and I said, man, that guy's slippery. That mm-hmm. guy might be one of the more athletic backs that Nebraska has gotten in a while, but he's tough to bring down. He runs hard. He's kind of like, like a little pinball that people bounce off of him. I think he's got really good football IQ. He's got really good vision. He just doesn't come down very, very easily. He doesn't spend a lot of time on the ground. Um, I really, really like that pickup, and I think that pickup might lead to a teammate of his mm-hmm. who's a defensive back also jumping into the mix. Now, the thing about players, and, and, and we're kind of, with the extension of the recruiting bed period, we're thinking, okay, you're going to have an abundance of transfers when this thing gets rolling back to, to some sense of normalcy. Players do commit without seeing a campus, and then they come and take a visit. I think in this case, you know, Christopher Paul Jr. jumped out of the boat. I think with Gabe Irvin, he's in because he's in a program where the coaches kind of they make sure and they have a good relationship with Nebraska's coaches, especially Sean Becton, that if you make a commitment, you stick to that commitment until there's something that is out of your control that you have to change your commitment. So I wouldn't be afraid of him jumping out of the boat. But I think that's a big, big pickup for Nebraska because, you know, they're projecting and looking past Diedrich Mills this year. If you do look at the style of running back that they have, the two in Morrison and Scott they got last year, Ramir Johnson, which now we're waiting for him to come on, you got Tompkins and Bivens, that's a very intriguing room that I, you can tell that Ryan Held's got a big smile on his face. But I really, really like that pickup. I didn't, I, you know, I knew Nebraska was definitely in the mix. I just didn't expect it, the announcement when it was. But whenever it was, that's, that's a great uh, feather in the cap for Nebraska. This was a good week for Nebraska in putting together their roster for 2021. Gary Sharp is with us on Hale Varsity Radio as we talk about Nebraska, of course. Now, Ramir Johnson is all of a sudden, I thought he was sort of the prototype that Frost wanted to get at the running back position. And I think if you transport back to UCF, he was, right? Slender, just a straight-up speed guy. 
look at the composition of the running back room now. Ramirez kind of the lone wolf there, right? Everybody else, pretty big, pretty physical. Yeah. What does that say about how they've adapted, I guess, to the Big Ten? Well, I, I think with him, you're right, Mark. Yeah, Ramirez is kind of like the, the, the sleek guy, a little bit taller. Everybody else is a little bit shorter um, where they are cock diesel. Uh, I, but the one, one factor through all of them is they got speed. They are building a track team. And I think not only speed of running the football, but they've got – if you look at Irvin, he can catch the football out of the backfield. So a lot of these guys can catch the football. Um, but whether Ramir Johnson is a little bit taller than the other backs, not. They all have track speed. Um, you know, Ramir Johnson is one of those guys – we talk about Mills. I think Mills is going to have a big year. I think he's comfortable. I think there's 1,000 yards that are staring him in the face. Ramir Johnson is one of those guys that we, we like and we love the story, and he was great for all of us to talk to. Well, before he ended up in Nebraska, he's one of those guys that I really wanted to see in spring. So I'm curious now with the other players on campus what that does to him. Um, but, again, I like the running back room a lot. I, and, and, and we're not even talking about a guy who is a semi-running back in Wandale Robinson there. Um, but the way they're building that running back room, it is world-class speed, kind of what we saw at the Central Florida. Gary, I, I think back to – Scott Frost's introductory press conference. He was asked, how are you going to adjust your system for the Big Ten? And he essentially said, I think the Big Ten is going to have to make adjustments to, to account for us. And now that we're two years down the road, how do you think that statement has held up when you look at how Scott Frost has been recruiting and the results he's gotten in the Big Ten? Well, that was a bad statement. I mean, that was a statement you make in an opening press conference, not knowing entirely what's going to happen and not knowing the league and the shape of the last and as a result, you only win nine games. All right, now you got a chance to hit the reset button after two years because you like your coaching staff, you like your, your roster. Um, I think where they're at offensively, if you think about it, last year Nebraska was 30 in the country and running the football, and I don't think there were many times that we went, man, Nebraska needs to run the ball, they can run the ball. They like their offensive line, they're a little bit veteran there. Um, of course, they like Diedrich Mills, he's a lot more comfortable. That tight end room is really, really good, but Boca left the chance for Rutgers now being eligible. You got some questions at wide receiver, but you kind of like some of the young guys there. Um, really, maybe the only biggest question going into this year when it comes to offense, that that offense can continually put up 30-plus points, is the quarterback position. You'd like to think, okay, Adrian is healthy. He'll be able to hold off Luke McCaffrey. He'll be able to get better. He'll be able to – his mechanics will be better. His decision-making will be better. He'll run with abandon. Um, I really, really like the offense, but I, I cringe when I heard that statement then. I still cringe now in some of the boastful stuff of Nebraska the first years. But, hey, you learn your lesson, and you move on from it, and you say, okay, we maybe shouldn't have said that now, but maybe at the end of the year we can say that again because that resonated throughout the league. And you saw the result when people uh, went up against Nebraska. Sharpie, how did you celebrate baseball coming back? Uh, nervous excitement. <laughs> I'm happy that it, I'm happy that it's back. Um, you know, it's a monumental task for anybody to to bring back sports during a pandemic. Um, I, I I want it to happen. I love baseball. I hope they pull it off. Um, it's going to be different from going into a bubble or a hub city because you're going to kind of be some sense of normalcy where you get to go home and you come back. Uh, I, I think I think everybody, whether it be professional sports or college sports, guys. They have to reiterate to these athletes that you are in it for your team. If you step outside of the bubble and you step away from the protocol, you're not only hurting yourself, you're hurting your teammates. And that's not what a good, good teammate is being. So I hope they pull it off. We'll be excited on July 23rd to get it back. I've got nervous excitement. I've got my fingers crossed. 
Um, I'm very disappointed they did not consult me because if they're going to have these playground, playground rules in a, in a short season, like putting a runner on second base to be in an extra inning, why don't we just go full-scale playground? Why don't we have ghost runners? And because all of us playing baseball growing up, we didn't have enough kids to play with us, so right field was dead if you hit it to right field. See, extra innings could be monkey in the middle. I, 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 I love the ghost. The ghost runner on first was phenomenal. My, my ghost runners were a thousand times faster than me. That was the argument on a first to third uh, or, you know, a go from first to home uh, gap shot uh, between left and center. Did you guys ever play where you didn't have enough players, so you didn't have a catcher? So if somebody was trying to score, all you had to do when you field the ball to get somebody out at home is just throw it past home plate? Like, the person coming home would be in fear because they get hit in the head. But a guy, you know, hit the ball at shortstop, and the shortstop would throw a BB right to home plate, and that was out. I mean, they might as well just go all of those uh, playground rules if they're going to bring it back. Those but I'm, the, excited to, I'm excited to see it back. No, the, the, the being able to throw the ball at the runner was the best. <laughs> I mean, it's, if you didn't have someone at second or at third or at, at, at catcher, yeah, you'd – You'd peg him with the ball, and that was the out. That was that was the way to do it, man. Okay, Gary, quickly, uh, I didn't, I, you know, okay. I, we didn't even have a lot of time. We don't, I don't think we have enough time to get into this. But as a guy who covers college baseball so much and has spent time with minor leagues and major league teams, the the, <laughs> the fact that there's no minor league baseball, the fact that the draft was cut down, like the ramifications of the pandemic across the baseball world at large, not even necessarily the major leagues, but how it affects college baseball, how it affects minor league. Can you even put into words how everything has been flipped on its head? The game took a step backwards and the game's got some making up to do. And we don't know what 2021 or 2022 will look like at the major league level, but I think what it has done because you've got youth baseball and Legion baseball going on around this state is I think people are falling more in love with the game of baseball. They're just a little upset at Major League Baseball, but it, it, it stunts the development. Um, it makes college baseball stronger, makes minor league baseball weaker, and makes us have a lot of questions about what the future is going to be like at Major League Baseball. Um, I, you guys started this uh, our chat this morning. I said 10 weeks. I'm still trying to be confident. Uh, I, I, I'm very optimistic. Yay or nay, 10 weeks from now, we're playing college football in Lincoln, Nebraska. I think we are in Lincoln. Uh, I don't know if we're going to play in some other spots. I think the SEC is going to forge forward. I think the Big Ten will play ball. And I think there are some programs within states that see spikes that will that will bow out. I think it's just going to be case by case. I think the plug gets pulled late October, November. I think, I think at worst they push back the start date and you have just conference only. Uh, I think conference only, but I think because they have more uniform testing across the Big Ten, if you're going to play a school like South Dakota State that is not testing, you really want your athletes going against a school that is not doing testing, not knowing that. I think another thing to watch, guys, is schools that are transparent announcing their results. There are some schools will not play other schools if they don't tell them what their results are, how many positive players, or if they think they're not going to hold positive test results out. There's so much... There's so much unknown. We're, we're wandering into this uncharted territory. But I don't think it's middle of July you make a decision. I think they go up to when the water is right on the toes mm-hmm. before across college football. People make decisions on what the season's going to look like and what the schedule's going to look like. But buckle up. The next 10 weeks are pretty important. But we can all do our job in this country in the next month to really, really 
uh, try and uh, slow down Rona or at least beat Rona so that we can have what we love 10 weeks from now. Absolutely. Sharpie, you're awesome. We will talk to you after the fourth, bud. Thanks again. All the best, boys. Thanks, All right, there he is, Gary Sharpie, yeah. Iron Horse. Dude, it's just the, the, the dominoes is the mm-hmm. thing that makes me think that it's going to be hard to complete a season because, again, you know, you, you could be doing everything right. You could be fine. But who are you playing and who did they play? And are they go- is that school going to continue with things or does the university president pull the plug? Right. And then before. So I, I just think there will be enough of those situations to where schedules just get completely out of whack and it just becomes untenable. You know, I, I hope it doesn't happen like that. But, I, you know, it's hard to it's just hard to picture that college football is just going to be played week after week with no interruptions. I just no, it's it's there's a lot of a lot of uncertainty. I, I will say this. And, and we had Parker Gabriel on yesterday and we chatted about South Dakota State's athletic director's statement. Yeah, we're not testing. And it's not that they won't or can't or haven't thought about doing it. They just haven't yet. Doesn't mean they can't start testing uh, down the road. But the fact that they haven't done it and it's economic, it's not like they're being jerks and just, hey, we're not going to. Th-. No, it's a financial thing. Um, right. I'm still blown away that they haven't tested at all. And we, you know, Elijah, you and I started yesterday's show off talking just the fact that Nebraska is not releasing their re- results and it's out of privacy, not hiding anything. So with Nebraska and their communication with UNMC and how much care they put in for their student athletes, I'm not worried about how Nebraska is handling things. Okay. Uh, I freak out with some choices made and I'm going to get on the old pulpit here. Uh, if you're going to bars as an LSU player or if you go to a house party as a K-State player, it's not that that can't happen at Nebraska, but from a commitment standpoint, what, what's, your, what's your commitment level like to be able to play ball? Well, my, my bigger thought on this is college campuses as a whole. Are they going to be able to stop COVID from spreading at a college campus? Because if you have it spreading throughout a campus, I don't think you can have college football. Well, I mean, if you have to send all the kids home halfway through the semester because you have an outbreak, you can't have college football, can you? If it just depends. If that's its own little bubble, right? What do you do with the campus? You got the academic and the athletic side. Craydeck, have a good weekend, brother. Enjoy baseball today. You as well. All right. All right. Talk to you after the fourth. Back at you Monday on Hale Bar City. Thanks.